Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. If anything, I've got a banter deficiency, and this podcast is my audible insulin. Thursday, which means it's time for the front three with a very unusual front three this evening. Me, Adam Bowood, of course. Uh, Chris Hennage is here. Good evening. And not Dave, not Lawrence. No, it's Stephen Howson outside Old Trafford. Steve, how you doing? I'm not sure we can call this a front three, mate. I'm more of a deep line playmaker myself. Well, you know, there's three of us. You know, we're talking for we It all makes sense. Um, Stephen outside Old Trafford after Manchester United's win. Uh, over Celta Vigo, sending them through to the final of the Europa League. We're going to be chatting to him in part one about that game, as well as all the UEFA Champions League action before in part two, revealing this week's whole of the week and answering your questions. Steve, first off, let's talk about that game. Um, Manchester United scraping through to the final in Stockholm, is it fair to say tonight? Absolutely. I think those last 12 seconds or so, from the angle that I'm sitting at, it looked like it bounced in, not away from the goal. Do you sometimes get the 3D perspective a little bit wrong and you go, oh, actually, it's coming towards us. Uh, yeah, that was a bit of flapping at the uh, last couple of minutes. We made hard work at that big time. What? What did you make of the overall performance then? Because, I mean, uh, by all accounts, pretty unconvincing once again from Manchester United in a big game. Uh, does it matter? Is the win the most important thing? About a month ago, I said at this stage of the season, results over performances, because we've had performances this season and they've ultimately led to tons and tons of draws. Whereas if we scrape through at the moment, you know, there's, there's nothing to be gleaned from a good performance and going down fighting and go, oh, didn't we play well? But ultimately, we're not doing anything. So I take a performance, sorry, I take a result every time out of the. Uh, I mean, if we end up scraping through Ajax in the same way and end up in the, in the hat somehow with a pot next uh, season, then. Happy days. Ultimately, happy days because, you know, I'd rather be uh, successful than uh, stroking ourselves saying, didn't we do well, but ultimately not done anything. The ends justify the means then. Do you not think, uh, despite uh, clearly Jose Mourinho prioritising winning over performances, that we should be able to expect more from, from him and this team? This isn't a complete side and this is a rebuilding process. So for us to be somewhat successful, I'm not going to say we're ultra successful, but somewhat successful um, in his first season, in you know what ultimately is a transitional season. And I know people always go, oh, well, Chelsea are going to win the league in Conte's first season. No European football has a massive impact on that. 
If you look at United's results on the back end of this Thursday night competition, they've been dreadful. I'm not even sure we picked up a single win on the back of a Europa League game. So that tells me that this has affected how we've done in the league. Now, if we'd have had the whole season without the distraction of this competition, then you might have seen Jose's system been implemented. You might have seen him being able to tactically impose himself on teams better than he has with the limited rest and the travel that we've had because of the Europa League. And that's why teams like Chelsea and Liverpool have been successful this season and their managers have been able to implement their plans because they haven't had the distraction that some of the other managers have got. Even Arsene Wenger's had that sort of distraction. All right, you guys had that distraction with Spurs a little bit, but you bombed out at the first stage of the knockout stage in the Europa, so you've had that time. And did that not coincide with you going on your run that you've just been on as well? Um, to an extent, to an extent. I wouldn't say they're necessarily related, but I, I see what you're saying about you know playing in that one competition. I mean, Jose Mourinho certainly likes to, to make a big deal out of that. He's talking about how Ajax now have the advantage in the final because Manchester United have got to play a number of games before that before that big game in Stockholm. I mean, uh, how do you feel about facing Ajax? you feeling confident? Would you rather take them on than Leon, who almost got there themselves tonight? I've got no preference, mate. It's a final. So someone you, you meet in the final, you're not meeting them on you know, regular, normal sort of form. Either people can step up or they can fold because of the pressure of a final. So it doesn't matter who you face in the final. You could face a massive underdog. They're going to play out the skin, aren't they? And raise the game for all the final. I worry about it, in all honesty. Um, I've still not seen for definite what happened with Bayer. I've seen a little bit of a clip which looks like he's actually Valencia that launches him. Mm. And I'm hoping, probably unjustifiably, that it's a case of mistaken identity with a red card. Yeah, they both and, push uh, him. That's looks the case, like then it can be yeah, so I don't think there's much hope, but you know, there's the slimmest of chances I would love to take it because he's been an absolute phenomenal defender for us this season and he's going to be a massive blow. The one thing that I was resting my hat on is, do you know what, we might not score loads of goals, but we're bloody hard to beat and we, we often can keep a team down to a goal or no goals. So And that, that massively depends on Bay in all honesty, as well. So I think with him missing, I'm not as confident as I was. With Ibram missing, I'm not as confident as I was. Rojo also missing. The partnership he'd formed with Blind was absolutely fantastic. Um, so they're going to be a blow. They're going to be a big miss. Overall, what do you make of this seeming gamble that Jose Mourinho has made then? Uh, potentially seen as thrown in the towel last week against Arsenal. You know, he seems to have given up any sort of hope for a top four finish, putting all the eggs in the, the Europa League basket. Obviously, uh, it's going to be fine margins if they lose that final. The season's going to be a disaster. If they win it, you know, somewhat of a success, it could be argued. I mean, how do you feel about the way Mourinho's approached this run into the season? Trying to win the Europa to get into the Champions League was like playing the lottery to pay your rent. And uh, ultimately, I think that if that ends up being the case, people are like, well, we won it. But, you know, people occasionally win the lottery, don't they? I don't think it's it's the most prudent or sensible thing to be trying to, to gamble the way that he has gambled. And I actually think that he probably thrown the towel in earlier than the likes of the Arsenal game. I actually think he's thrown it in for the Chelsea game. When you look at the lineup that we've, we put out against Chelsea... I think he thought he could probably do a job, but he was also kind of protecting himself in case that we, we didn't get the win and somehow we managed to pull a win out of it. So I think he was like, all right, bonus. So I actually think he might have thrown the towel in a little bit earlier than um, than the Arsenal game where he, he certainly threw the towel in. And I, I fully expect these remaining three games that United are going to feel an absolutely garbage team, in all honesty, for these remaining three Premier League matches. Sounds good to me. Got Spurs on Sunday, so uh, I'd like to sign off at White Hart Lane for a win, so I'm not going to complain. I didn't hear what you said, though.
Oh, I'm just going to say bye to you. Uh, how's it? Pleasure to have you on the front three. Uh, if the listeners, if the whole want to find more of you, where can they go? Uh, just get on that iTunes, type in Housen, you'll find the Stephen Housen podcast. And you'll also find some sexy voiced man called Adam Boltwood joining me on Monday. Yeah. Uh, after that, we've got B. Conrad coming on and then the True Geordie. So we've got an absolute series of heavyweights coming. Yeah, starting with the, the biggest one first, though, of course. I'm, I've booked you knowing that we're going to lose to you. Basically, just come and giving you the platforms to gloat about beating us. What a guy I am. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Sounds good to me. Um, do you go and check out Housen? You can check me out there next week. Uh, Housen will speak to you soon. Later. What a wonderful man, eh? Chris Hennage. Um, I mean, obviously, Housen's got his own opinions on Manchester United. What do you think about this whole way Mourinho's approach at the end of the season then? Because I saw his, his BFF, Duncan Castles, on Twitter sort of saying, you know, this is a this is a calculated gamble. You know, this is smart from Mourinho. He's going to beat Selvigo. They're going to beat Ajax. It's more difficult to finish in the top four. I don't know. Are they mutually exclusive? Do you have to have one over the other? Uh, the, the point Duncan makes is a good one. The sources perhaps not the greatest, but I, I think ultimately, yes, the fact that Mourinho has looked at this from, I would say, quite a calculated perspective and, and thought to himself, if I win the Europa League, then I'm in the Champions League, whereas realistically, what are my chances of finishing fourth? I, I think he's taken the low-risk option. Uh, you look at the, the teams that have, have reached this stage. Ajax have pedigree, of course, and, and that's got them to the final. But you look at Lyon, you look at Celta Vigo, and you look at Ajax, unfortunately. And you would have to say Manchester United are the strongest team. They should be. I mean, they've you know they've spent the most, they've invested the most, they've got the likes of Pogba, etc. Even with Zlatan missing, even with Bailly missing, if the, if that red card stands, which I think it will, you would still imagine them to be favourites, and I think they'll be billed as favourites going into the game. From a, the perspective of Mourinho. I would say in, in in certain quarters, next season will be so big for him now. Not not because of, of the fact he might qualify for the Champions League or any of those factors. More looking at it from the perspective of it has to go right in the league next season. Because this this year can can almost be siphoned off and, and put down as a rebuilding year, as a chance for the team to get better and and form an identity and all of these kind of things. And and maybe even if you wanted to, to throw Van Hal and Moyes under the bus, fixing their mistakes. Next year has to see an improvement. This has to be uh, an, a sort of fixing stage, if you will. They can't afford a similar performance next year. And, and that's my concern is that there are certainly times I watch this Mourinho team and I look at them and think, some of this seems like it's his decisions that are holding them back rather than anything else. Yeah, you sort of, you can't help but question his approach to these sort of bigger games. Very much a safety first, safety first approach. I mean, we've seen his results against the other teams in the top six this season. It hasn't really come come across favourably. Um, I'm just, I just feel like all these eggs in this Europa League basket, I mean, they could well lose to Ajax. As we're saying, Bailly's missing now, as Housen's saying, a key player for them. They've got a number of injuries as well and, and key players missing all over the park. It just feels like this is a very, I don't know, risky strategy almost. If they don't win this final now, this season will be considered a complete failure for Jose Mourinho, will it not? It will. And yet I have to think that he is confident in winning the Europa League for doing that. Because I think he, he is self-aware that even if 
he bills it as a year of rebuilding. And look, I think he'll be given the chance next year regardless. He's taken the route that he thinks is the most effective to getting them Champions League football. And I think, of course, all of the options have risk. If he was to go for it in the league, it would have risk in, involved because then you would assume he'd adjust the, the Europa League squads and the Europa League fixtures accordingly. If I was him, though, and I think I said this a, a couple of weeks ago, if not a couple of months ago, I would have done the same thing. I would have put all of my, my metaphorical eggs into that Europa League basket and tried to get in the Champions League through that route because it, it seems easiest is perhaps a, a misleading word, but it's it certainly seems the most efficient way to do it. Interestingly today, uh, the news coming out on The Guardian from uh, Jamie Jackson, who's a very well-sourced journalist, claiming that Mourinho's top transfer target for next summer is Romelu Lukaku, none other than the Everton striker himself. I assume you know that might depend uh, the likelihood of that move on whether they do indeed qualify for the Champions League. But you think someone like that could potentially be the answer to some of their woes this season with their, their finishing issues up front, Chris? And possibly, I think the difficult thing Manchester United have right now is Marcus Rashford is, is one of England's most promising strikers, if not the most promising. Um, Harry Kane is definitely in that conversation as well. It's whether you consider him in the same sort of potential bracket or whether he's already realised that. He's there, mate. He's there. Yeah, that's the, that's the, the fine line. Any big-name striker signing like Lukaku that you imagine is going to cost upwards of 40, 50 million... You have to think, what is the repercussion for Rashford there? Does he move out wide? Does he have to become a different kind of player? Do you go two up top? I don't think Mourinho goes two up top. You then also have to try and fit Martial in there, who, again, costs a lot of money. Now, you could look at it from a, a squad management perspective and say it's probably acceptable, and I use that term you know, very uh, loosely, to let go of Martial and keep Rashford because they offer you fairly similar things and then try and sign Lukaku. If you're looking for that target forward, that's also assuming that Zlatan leaves as well. So there's a there's a little bit of, of chair moving to do, I think, for, for this table to be set up correctly for, for Jose Mourinho. You would have to think then because of his injury, um, as, as good as he's done, in the Premier League this season, that that would mean Zlatan is, is gone because there's no way that you sign Zlatan to a, a new deal and then go out and buy Lukaku as well. That's just overkill. You can't even fit those players into the team. So uh, a shift to uh, a more youth-centric approach is not a terrible one. We've seen Twinzerby do quite well as as he did at uh, the Emirates at the weekend. I actually think it would be good for the long-term goal. So if, if Lukaku is the... Marquee signing that arrives. Yeah, I think that points to a bright future for them, definitely. What about their opponents in the final then? Obviously, Ajax, there's been talk of them returning to Johan Cruyff's ideals, talk of a very talented young side looking now for their first European trophy in 22 years. With those players missing for Manchester United, would you give them a chance, Chris? I would. There are things that concern me uh, watching the game tonight against Leon. They were needlessly cavalier in the, in the last 10 minutes or so when, when the game was delicately poised, even more so, bizarrely, when all Leon needed was a goal to, to level the tie. With that said, I think they've got a lot of mature young players. You look at, I know Cliver gets a lot of the attention, but actually it's, it's the likes of Dolbergs, it's Delict at the back. 
he, he comes on a little bit more now. Donny van der Beek is, is another good one. Davy Clarsen, who's 24 and is, is seen as, I guess, one of the more elder statesmen of the group, but certainly a, a leader in there, if nothing else. They have players that will cause Manchester United problems. And the thing is, I, I always think back to Ajax against Man City in the Champions League a few years ago with CMD Young. They caused them no end of problems. And yet you would look on paper at the two squads and say, well, this is a, a complete... Uh, you know, whitewash for, for Man City, this one. I think what Ajax will have to do and what Peter Bose will, will have to do is manage the game carefully because even tonight, as, as mature as Delict was in coming out afterwards and saying, it was my fault for the penalty, I made the mistake, it didn't change the fact he had a really nasty night in Leon. Few mistakes, few instances of overplaying, things like that. But he is, of course, the important caveat here, 17 years old. They're relying on him and they're trusting him. You look at his centre-back partner, De Vincent Sanchez, 20 years old. This is a very young team. And because of that, it can make things hard to predict because as uh, Don Hutchison made a, a fairly astute point, I thought, on the commentary, you learn the game as you get older, which sounds so obtuse when you say it like that. But what he meant by that was, and he told a very good anecdote about lessons just clicking as you got older. And, and understanding that he didn't always have to... Ch- he said he didn't have to chase the ball so much. Sooness told him not to chase the ball. And it clicked for him, I think he said, when he was at West Ham, when he was in his mid-30s, that you stop and let the ball come to you and dictate the game that way. That's where I think Ajax could could learn. The good thing is they'll have a lot of rest time. Um, I would imagine the season will be concluded. I think the season concludes this weekend um, domestically for them. And... You know, if, if they win the title in dramatic fashion, obviously it's all in fine or tans, really. Then that gives them a massive morale boost and 10 days to relax and, and really prepare. If they lose it, it could easily galvanise them and, and focus them on to, to at least coming out with, with a major piece of silverware. Mm. Ajax and Manchester United in the final of the Europa League then. Uh, let's talk... Champions League, because of course we got our finalists there. Juventus first going through to the final on Tuesday night. Comfortable in the end uh, in their victory against Monaco. 4-1 on aggregate ended, 2-1 on the night. Goals from Mandzukic and Danny Alves, the main man of the moment. What do you make of Juventus, Chris? I mean, they're a lot of people's favourites now. I think uh, this game was the first time they've conceded a goal in the Champions League from open play this season. First goal in 689 Champions League minutes. In fact, um, the goal from Kylian Mbappe. I mean, they're so solid at the back. They're, they're threatening going forward. Are they your favourites now in the final? We want to see Buffon win it. We want to see Buffon win, don't we? We do. No, of course we do. I'm, I'm going to say yes just because of the way they handled this Monaco team. And what I mean by that is you look at the way Monaco approached City and Dortmund, no slouches by any stretch of the imagination. And yet... Juventus really meticulously managed the game. They knew who to shut down in Mbappe. They knew how to shut him down. And they kept things incredibly rigid and tight. And I look at this Real Madrid team and I see the way that they've been exposed. I think someone like Dybala can do that. And I think as as impressive as Ronaldo has been in moments during this competition this season, popping up with goals, getting hat-tricks, being a, a a really lethal finisher inside the penalty area. I don't know if he gets that many chances against Juventus. That's that's the, the concern I have if I'm a Real Madrid fan, is against lesser teams or, or teams that maybe aren't as defensively sound and organised, I think he exploits that. 
against someone like Juventus, I don't think they'll give him the opportunity. Or I think they'll limit him to as few as possible. And if they are, they'll not be great chances. They'll very much be work that he has to do. So I also think that, that Danny Alves will... will provide something different for Marcello because I think Marcello is a big attacking asset for Real Madrid. And that's why I'm very curious to see if Alves goes up against him, whether he can push him back and nullify him. Um, from a midfield perspective, though, I think Real Madrid have the better individuals. It just goes back to that team ethic again. I think that's something we're kind of learning this season is you can have as many great individuals as you want, but it's all about how it all meshes together. You look at Monaco with, in Ligon, you look at Chelsea in, in the Premier League, teams that maybe don't have 11 great individuals, but they have a really good team ethic and a good team ethos. Could be Juventus' first Europa, first European Cup since 1996. 21 years they've been waiting for this. Uh, their second final in three years. Very impressive stuff from Juventus. I think I'm backing them. I think, you know, uh, they've got what it takes to hurt this Real Madrid side. As good as they are, it would be pretty incredible if Real Madrid won it as well, though. It would be the first time a team has won back-to-back Champions League uh, in this era of the European Cup. What did you make of their performance against Atletico Madrid, Chris? Because uh, they were under pressure in the first 20 minutes conceded. Two things were looking very good for Atletico as a person. Perfect start for Diego Simeone's side. All of a sudden, Benzema with a tremendous piece of skill, Isco in the right place at the right time, and the time was essentially over. Yeah, I, th- I think that goes back to the point I was just making there that the, the sort of moment from ma- moment of madness from Gordim, where he, for, for no seemingly logical reason, runs towards the ball. Yeah, it was miles away from where he should have been. Does kind of present that that little lane of, of space for, for Benzema to run into. Don't get me wrong, wonderful skill, really brilliant piece of skill. But even still, they did provide him that that space to run into. Mm-hmm. That, for me, I don't see Juventus doing that. And I think what Real Madrid did very well was they recovered from the, the two early goals. I think within that same period of playing at the start of the game, they showed why Juventus could get at them in the final. Because I, I don't think defensively they're perfect. I think you look at the Clasico against Barcelona, for example, Ramos gets sent off for a really reckless challenge. I, I don't think they're as disciplined all the time, uh, Real Madrid. And that's my concern for, for them going in. That's why I'm, I'm inclined to, to just fall on the favour of the black and white side. What of Atletico then? They became the first team to be eliminated by the same opponents four times in a row. In this competition, so they must be sick of the sight of Real Madrid. It's bad, so bad. But I mean, we imagine losing four Champions League. It's not even, yeah, and it's yeah, yeah. It's like it's not even the fact it's the same opponent, which is bad enough. It's the fact it's their rivals, their main rivals, the cross down rivals. It's a really bitter pill to swallow. Um, What do you make of the future for that? For Atletico Madrid, we were talking about this last week with with Robbie Dunn on the show. It was all a, a bit downbeat last week. I mean, lots of question marks over Simeone's future, Griezmann's future, whether this team could could stay together. Yesterday after the game, Simeone seemed a bit more upbeat, talking about you know the spirit the side showed, sort of talking about how he wants to to make changes, bringing new players to the side this summer ahead of that move into the new stadium. Is there a way to take this? positively Chris and say you know that there's something to build on here for Atletico with Diego Simeone potentially in his final season at the club no on if, if I'm honest I, I, I do just think the steam's run out of this this one um, for me Atletico obviously won the Liga and that was a massive achievement I think 
they are rapidly becoming the nearly men of European football because they've come <sighs> so close. Such a shame, on, isn't it? Yeah, on a number of occasions. And look, financially, they haven't been able to compete with the teams that are knocking them out most of the time. And and for that, they have my eternal sympathy because I think they deserve immense credit for orchestrating the the teams and the situations that they have, the likes of Griezmann, things like that. I, I do just think watching them, though, that I wouldn't say they've been found out so much as I, I think the way they play against the truly elite, and I'm talking top bracket teams, I think that has become susceptible now to, to being taken advantage of. And I think, again, you look at... You look at that moment with Godin that we talk about because it does, and I feel bad singling out a single player like that because it's it's not nice. You look at that moment and you just think, how much was he thinking about previous games? How much was he overthinking that moment? Instead of, let's let's say for argument's sake, to any other team, it's a normal league game. Does he sit in the middle? Does he trust Jimenez and, and I forget who the other defender was to deal with that situation? Or does he race over like he did and create a massive gap for, for Benzema to exploit in that penalty area. That's that's where I have, have issue with, with Atletico Madrid right now is I do think that given the, the fact that more and more clubs are circling around Simeone talking about in the, the press of, of him leaving and going to Inter maybe or Arsenal or wherever, I just think that destabilises the group that they're at. And, and for me, that's when when the, the beginning of the end really starts is, is when the talk of, of moving on doesn't stop, and I don't think it has. Mm, be very interesting to see if... I think Simeone will stay this summer. I think he'll be there next season in the end uh, before he you know, jumps off to Inter Milan. Be very interesting to see if they can keep hold of Griezmann. I mean, all the rumours swirling around that Manchester United have already agreed a contract. You know, He's, he's definitely on the way. But as we were talking about earlier, you know, Romelu Lukaku apparently... Mourinho's top transfer target so you know can they play together in the same team be interesting to see who actually ends up uh, being the, their main target who they splash you know what 60 70 million on potentially um it'd be very interesting to see I think uh, we're saying our money's on Juventus for the final then against Real Madrid the heart says Juventus the head as well Chris yeah hmm. uh, I we'll think so okay good stuff right guys let's move on to part two it's time for the questions there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss since 2013 Bombas has donated over 100 million socks underwear and t-shirts to those facing homelessness if we counted those on air this ad would last over 1157 days but if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible it would take just a few clicks because every time you make a purchase Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Before we get to the questions, uh, it's time for Hole of the Week. Um, Chris, are you musically inclined? Do you want to sing a, a jingle for Hole of the Week? 
It's the Hall of the Week. Hall oh, of the Week. That was sensational. So much better than Dave's. Um, guys, two weeks ago, um, I'll let you have it. Uh, there were no reviews on iTunes. You know, uh, I basically you'd let me down. You let Chris down. You let Dave down. You let Lawrence down. But you guys have really stepped up to the plate. There have been 20 reviews on iTunes in the last two weeks. Absolutely fantastic stuff. So many great reviews coming in. I'll go through a couple of them now. Mainly five stars as well, which is always good. Uh, Hawkeyes says, content is awesome. The guys know their stuff. Keep up the great work. Uh, Dr. Raid from the USA says, I am in the lab and supposed to be cloning plasmids and transforming bacteria. But instead, I've been making an iTunes account just so I can give you guys a review. I listen to the podcast while working. So yes, I messed up a few experiments because I get discarded by the awesome football analysis and funny banter. Wish I could give you more than five stars. Keep up the great work. All the best from Massachusetts, US. Thank you, Dr. Raid. mad, isn't it? Yeah. Someone is intelligent and... And, and they listen to us. Life, life altering as that as someone who's actually trying to make the world a better. <laughs> yeah, to this. we're just talking about football. Uh, Wacker Unis from the UK also sent in a great review. Said it's genuinely one of his favourite football podcasts. So thanks for listening. Uh, Baxter Tom from Belgium said great match reviews, perfect match and tactical analysis, top notch banter, and some controversial football bets. Uh, he's not wrong there. Uh, also, Blobby007 from the UK, really good content. Uh, we also had Ollie Co from the UK, who rather cryptically said, In my opinion, Theresa May will only experience a minimal increase to her majority. This will lead pundits and journalists to accuse her self interested push. For more seats is an expensive waste of time. She'll be ousted when she fails in the Brexit negotiations. So uh, Ollie's got political there. Maybe meant for another That's podcast. I'm not sure. Uh, Black Shadow. Oh, no, actually, I'll say uh, Uzar Siddiq from the UK also left us a review saying Dave could be AJ was the title. Uh, a great podcast with some great personas. Yeah. Yeah. What does that mean? Dave could be AJ. I assume he's talking about Anthony Joshua. He's saying he loves Dave so much. Oh, Dave's such okay. a hard man. He could be up... Uh, the UK's very own Anthony Joshua. Um, Niagara from the UK said, no idea who the other jokers are, but Lawrence McKenna is my spirit animal, even if he does speak like a massive Tory shape-shifting lizard man. Okay, uh, if you're allergic that to banter... That's so off base. That's mad, isn't it? Uh, if you're <laughs> allergic to banter, <laughs> I would not recommend this podcast, but I'm not, so I'm not asked. If anything, I've got a banter deficiency, and this podcast is my audible insulin. Uh I mean, that's up there. That's in contention to win today, I've got to say. That is a very good review, despite the slightly off-base comments on, on Norris McKenna. But he is his spirit that animal. So. Norfolk Digital, by chance. Yeah, potentially. Uh, ben Rees, 93 from the UK, said, perfect listening for my lunch breaks in work. Kerry Coys said, if you're looking for the best football podcast and you found it, quality content more than once a week from passionate football fans. Five stars. Thank you, Kerry. Uh, Stokey11 said, only just started listening. Can I just ask what teams you will support? <laughs> uh, Spurs for me, Newcastle for Chris, Liverpool for Lawrence, Manchester United for Dave. I thought that would be obvious in the way we speak about those teams, but maybe not. Um, Work Bin Chi from the USA said, the whispery host is hard to hear if you are vacuuming or operating heavy machinery, but the rest of the guys are great. Sorry about that. Uh, Kristen's MLS insight is top notch. I also appreciate the rest of the guys aren't shy about showing their favorite team bias. Please send the Ferrero Rochers to Christian Castro. 
good effort, but I think, um, you know, there might be a potential winner elsewhere. Uh, Danny also says, I'm only here in the hope no one else will be again and I can just get the Ferrero Rocher for free. I'm a student, I'm hungry, I haven't eaten in three days. I like the honesty, oh, Danny, I like that. Uh, he, he gets, yeah, we'll get, I'll send him something that's not Ferrero Rocher. <laughs> yeah, I feel sorry. That for, sounded dodgy, you know sound, what I mean? I'll sounded very ominous. Um, Whore of the Week uh, is the title of the podcast from Ali Big D. He said, review of the team, Dave, sexy. Adam Silly, okay. Uh, Lawrence Camp, Chris, the only intelligent person. Great podcast, guys. Gave you five out of five. Would give you six if you had less Lawrence and more Dave. <laughs> wow. Some of these are, you know, they're, 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 getting, they're being honest. I appreciate the honesty. Uh, finally, Harry Sid from the UK says, I love the podcast. Best football analysis and stats. Keep it up. Uh, thank you very much, Harry. I think the winner is between Niagara and Black Shadow 179 also from the UK, who said, The Front Free is quite simply the best podcast around. I always smile and laugh whenever I listen and also love interacting with you on Twitter as well. I'd sum TF3 up by saying just some great guys making some great content and hopefully one day we can all meet up and have a chat and a few beers. First round is on me. Maybe. Viva the hen house. You know? Not bad. I like that. I like that review. He's offering us points. I, I think he might win. I think Niagara... I think Black Shadow, I think you've earned yourself some Pereira Rocher. Lovely review. And I think Niagara um, has also earned himself some Pereira Rocher by saying, you know, this podcast is awful insulin for those with a banter deficiency. So, guys, do get in touch with us on Twitter at the front free. DM us. Um, you're both whole of the week this week. It's a shared honor. You've earned it, guys. Please, if you're listening, leave us more reviews on iTunes. It does help us climb up the rankings, help us find more listeners, all that sort of good stuff. So, if you want to leave us a review, it can be five stars, it could be four stars. Just be honest with us. We want to hear some honest reviews of the podcast. That's what we like. Um, let's move into the questions. You've also been sending in your questions on twitter um some really interesting ones coming in a lot of manchester united questions so it's a real shame neither dave or Housen is still here um but we'll do our best to answer them me and chris uh first up uh let's get to the important stuff ollie shep saying what would win in a fight a bear with sharks for arms or a shark with bears for arms now for me this is obvious it's a shark with bears for arms because bears have got like hands you know so if you've got a bear as your arm that arm has also got arms, you know what I mean? And that's more deadly than a shark, which although can be biting, hasn't got arms itself, you know? I've got a lot of issues with this question. In what way? Doesn't state where the battle's taking place. It's <sighs> on land, shark. It's too vague. Ollie, I mean, you've got to send in more detail, mate. It's too vague. Uh, we need it needs to be specified where's the battle taking and place. And plus, you know? I don't think a shark has arms to begin with. Yeah, but what if it had a bear for arms? That's what Ollie's saying. You know, but it doesn't have arms. You can't just like where do yeah, you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so where the fins are, they've got bears instead coming out of. You know, it's it's pretty wild. Um, I think the latter one. Uh, you know, depending I, on where the fight. My is. advice would be don't drink de-icer. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Um, question here from Sandini: When can we expect to see a bleach blonde at Statman, Dave? Well, Sandini, I think he's desperately clinging on to the hope that. Zlatan's coming back before the end of the season. Um, I mean, his knee is apparently a medical marvel, Chris. So you never know. Um, I know that was Zlatan's agent saying that. So, you know, maybe he's biased or something. And yes, the doctors came out and said that was bullshit. But 
maybe <laughs> he could be coming back by the end of the season. So is that their exact phrase? Yeah, that was what was said. In, it was in the Swedish uh, in the Swedish press. They contacted uh, one of the doctors for a quote. You know, what do you make of uh, Zlatan's agent saying, you know, he's a medical marvel. They want to study his knee, and he went, nah, it's bullshit. <laughs> so there you go. I mean, pretty damning indictment there. But you know, uh, each to their own. I think. Dave will be going bleach blonde at the end of the season. I think it's safe to say after the last game um, when there's absolutely no chance whatsoever that Slatan's going to make a miraculous recovery uh, and score, what does he need to score? Five goals, I think, in this game. Um, it's not happening. So I think end of the season is when you can expect to see a, probably a video of uh, Stan and Dave getting his hair. End of the Premier League season? End of the Premier League season, yeah. Um, so um, what I would do, I'm, I'm freebasing this here a little bit, I would riffing, watch the last game of the season. Yes, free riffing. Watch uh, it live. I would watch it live. To see if that's how it comes on. Or yeah. in a hairdresser's. Yes. And then the second the whistle goes. A bit like, you know, when a team wins the league and you just pop the champagne. Yes. That's when you lather the um, dye on. <laughs> it's uh, one way or another. The boys going blonde. Bleach blonde by the end of the, end of the season. Uh, question here from Luke Dorr friend of the show at black shadow 179 he's got himself those ferrero rush and he's also sending a great question here uh what player did you personally hate watching play for your club mine is andre Voronin. oh very difficult player to watch i imagine for all liverpool fans for me i think i'd have to say uh my instinct says sergei rebrov a player that you know is one of the first expensive striker signing Spurs made a lot of hype a lot of promise completely failed to live up to expectations and it was just painful to watch him in the end uh, a player who wasn't worth what we paid for him who wasn't uh, doing what we expected him to you know um, very frustrating player to watch uh, what about you Chris Any... do you know he used to operate a CB radio when he was at Tottenham that was one of his hobbies a CB radio what yeah that is some random trivia, but I like it. Um, Chris, who is a player that you used to hate watch watching? Or maybe the, the, or there's a player you do now hate watching play for, uh, for Newcastle. You've, you've hit the nail on the head there. It's, for me, it's a split tie between Michael Owen and Jack Colback for two very different reasons. Michael Owen, because he was clearly only there for the money and used to be injured when we needed him and then miraculously healed every time the England squad was announced. And Jack Colback purely because he he came out and did the whole oh, I've always been a Newcastle fan of thing. Yet I remember him consistently taunting Newcastle fans when they won at St James's with Sunderland. So it just doesn't make sense. Like look obviously never be in that position. If I was to play for Sunderland and we were winning at St James's Park I would celebrate a little bit, but I certainly wouldn't be taunting the home fans at the same time. So, yeah. And plus, he's just not a very good footballer. If, yeah, if we well. were going to make someone cross the divide, I mean, I don't want to upset you, but obviously you've had that happen the other way. It's got to be for someone really good. Mm. It's got to be for not someone that's going to improve the team. Yeah, not just a really middle-of-the-road, probably championship-level midfielder. <laughs> uh, Gushan writing in with his question. Uh, if Ronaldo wins the Champions League, uh, which is very possible they're in the final Real Madrid is he the greatest since he has also won an international trophy something that Messi hasn't done um, I think that being the greatest is more about trophies it's more about uh, you know 
what you, it's more about almost the intangibles. I think the trophies and and the goal records and everything that Messi and Ronaldo uh, effortlessly seemingly tally up every season is incredibly impressive and adds to their to their legend, adds to their legacy. But just because one of them wins more trophies than the other, I don't think that necessarily makes them the greatest. I think there's more to their games than that. There's more to appreciate about them than just their the silverware they have. Um, I, for one, was kind of I was a little bit disappointed last week with you know Ronaldo scoring the hat trick. All the coverage again sort of fell onto the whole Messi Ronaldo dynamic. I think you know they've proved again this season they are the best players in the world. They're still at the very peak almost of their of their powers. They're certainly the best two players in the world. I think it's fair to say. Um, but I just I'm a little bit bored of the comparison now. I think it's. Everyone has an opinion on it. Everyone has their their favorite, the player they think is the greatest, they think is the best. But I'm kind of bored of comparing them now, no, Chris. I think they're just two tremendous players, and you know it's almost cliche now to say, "Oh, we're all tremendously lucky to have them both here at the same time." You know, they clearly spur each other on and and drive each other to to greater heights. And maybe we should just all enjoy that instead of endlessly comparing them every week. Yeah, massively. I think. <clears throat> when you and I were growing up, we're the same age, I believe, roughly. Um, we didn't have two players that were above the rest, to my knowledge. There was a lot of very, very talented players, but I don't think there was such a consensus on Ronaldo and Messi. Uh, there was never even those questions, like who's better, X or Y. It was always, well, you know, uh, Brazilian Ronaldo is very good, this player is very good, Zidane, etc., etc. But the fact that we've got this two-horse race... In some ways, I never really want to know the answer of who's better. I know there will be people screaming at the microphone or in the, into their headphones and phone now that I'm talking rubbish. But I kind of like the thought of never knowing who wins the race almost. I know statistically there will always be one better. Yeah, but who's but better? The, but the very <laughs> notion that two players who are so diametrically opposed in the way they look, you could argue in the way they act, and at times the way they even play football yeah. are the best too. For me, it highlights the, and I get really quite excited about this, it highlights the brilliance of football and why I was never interested in sports like rugby or anything like that. Because it doesn't matter whether you're built like yourself, well over six foot and, you know, like an athlete, or you're a short, stocky little yeah. fella. I, mate, I've seen you, you lift. Um, it doesn't matter how you're built. Because as long as you're good with the ball and you can find a role or a use in a team or you can find a team that works for you, you've got a place in the game. And I, and I really like that a lot. Who's, uh, even though you don't want to know who's going to win the race, you don't want to uh, almost uh, know who is the greatest. Who 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 do you prefer? In your heart, in your heart of hearts. I don't know, it's difficult. I've been, I've been very fortunate that I saw Ronaldo when he was at Man United, and so I've seen a bit more of him in person. There was a weird feeling came over me when I when I watched Messi, and and it might be a because it was feeling. more sort of there was more like ceremony to it. Do you know what Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, yeah. Like I felt like this is a moment in time. I remember I spoke to uh, guys at Montreal Impact. And they asked me why I was interested in American soccer and all that. Mm. And I said, well, it's it's an experience. I, I get to see Didier Drogba at the end of his career. I haven't watched him at Chelsea and things. And there was an air of that with Messi. It, it felt like an experience. And I was very lucky that in the mix zone afterwards, just by pure coincidence, I got to walk alongside him for about 30 seconds. 
and I will never forget being like that close the to the aura. To greatness, yeah. And and the thing is, I, I would imagine it was similar. It would be similar with Ronaldo. I must confess, it was a different time in his career. To be fair, he hadn't achieved what Messi had at, at the same point. I didn't get that same feeling. And yet, I've got so much admiration for what Ronaldo is and what he represents. Yeah, I feel I've never... There's something about Ronaldo that's always rubbed me up the wrong way. But in the last sort of two to three years, I've been so just impressed with what he's done on the pitch. There's no arguing with winning uh, the Euros, with winning the Champions League, with the performance he puts in the games, the, the massive games, the semi-finals, all this sort of stuff. He's like the Terminator. He's so ruthless. He's so efficient at sticking that ball in the back of the net. You just can't help but be impressed by the consistency uh, of someone like Ronaldo. But I think, for me, I think, as you say, there is that sense of ceremony almost around Messi that, even though with someone like Ronaldo, you're you're witnessing you're witnessing history in the sense of this is a man who's breaking all records known to man. He's he's scoring goals at a ridiculous rate. He's got more goals, I think, for Real Madrid than games played. It's something crazy like that. It's just ridiculous the 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 statistics themselves. But I feel like with Messi, when you see him on the pitch, when you're watching a game, you can't help but be excited when he's on the ball. You feel like you're almost mm-hmm. witnessing history because at any moment he could score the greatest goal you've ever seen. You know, the, the goal he scored against Real Madrid, I think that was in the semi-final of the, the Champions League where he sort of dribbled it round three or four players and stuck it in. You, you, you sort of like, you can't help but like stand up and be like, oh my God, I've just seen the incredible. I've seen the impossible. Whereas I don't feel, I don't feel that way with Ronaldo um, at all. But I just, you know, as we're yeah. saying, they're, they're two of the greatest players of all time and you can't help but admire both of them in, in, in different ways. And And that's the thing. It's not a criticism of Messi. That's the problem is that when you compliment one, I think it's almost perceived that you're criticising the other. With Ronaldo, throughout his career, there's always been these displays of emotion that, yes, at times I've seen petulant, but in other times, like with uh, Portugal and things like that, have seemed very humanising, have seemed to just show what it means to him. And I don't always see that with Messi. There's this sort of withdrawn character. He doesn't... Do you know what I mean by that? He just seems very nonchalant about the whole thing, whereas Ronaldo, it seems to really... He wears his heart on his sleeve, I think, a little bit more, and that makes it at times easier to buy into what he's selling, so to speak. Whereas, you know, Messi, it's it's a pure adoration of of, of what he does with the ball at his feet. Uh, uh, the, as you say, and I got the exact same feeling at the, the Copa America... When he picks up the ball and he starts, you think something's coming. Something's so like this could be a moment. Moving swiftly on, then uh, player here question here from Carlos Adver, longtime listener, friend of the show. What does Lucho's successor have to do in order to get Barcelona back to the top level consistently? The squad is nowhere near as good as the one Pep left for Tito, especially as key players are ageing. Should we look at long-term solutions, either Masia or short-term success with big money buys, uh, considering our lack of success in the market? Um, that lack of success in the market has been a real key factor, hasn't it, Chris? Because, I mean, some of the signings they've made in recent years, just they're just not good enough. Who's that? Sorry, I missed that crowd for a second. Uh, it's all about Barcelona, you know. They haven't made good enough signings over the past few years. No, they, they haven't. Um, I pitched, funny enough, I pitched an article today on, on the fact that Dani Alves' uh, resurgence, if you will, really highlights that, that 
their transfer strategy at Barcelona hasn't been good enough. Um, you look at Andre Gomez, you look at uh, to, to a, a, a certain degree, Alex Vidal's been quite unfortunate with injury, but it, it hasn't been what it's needed to. And, and it's similar with, with Suarez. I think he comes in and he does, sorry, Dennis Suarez, I should say. He comes in and performs fairly admirably, but I, I do think as well it's a very difficult club to, to go and establish yourself at Barcelona because it's, it's at such a high level. Um, I think... Gomez in particular, I know he t- has taken a lot of pelters this season. If he moves on wherever he goes to, I think he'll be a success. I just don't think he, he's a good fit for Barcelona. And I think that's where it falls down is they sign very good players fairly consistently. I don't always think they look at just how they fit the club. Um, some adapt. I think guys like Suarez, Neymar have the the mentality, all that kind of stuff to adapt to the surroundings they're in and grow properly. But it, I think signing for Barcelona is very much being thrown in the deep end of the pool as a toddler. If if you don't start swimming quickly, then you're going to sink to the bottom. Oh yeah, 100%. 100%. Um, still on Barcelona, uh, who will win the Champions League first or first next? Barcelona or Bayern Munich? Um, obviously dumped out uh, in the previous stage of this season, um, who do you think is in a better place potentially next year to be the one who could win it, let's say? Um, surely Bayern Munich. Carlo's there, although he fell short this year. Maybe they're in a better position to, to challenge once again next campaign, Chris? Um, yeah, becoming Barcelona are going to be a year older, which which doesn't help. You've got the, the Iniesta conundrum and, and how you improve that midfield whereas yeah I would say you know Bayern Munich you've got Renato Sanchez who has to come in and do something um, so yeah I, th- I think honestly I, f- I find it hard to disagree with uh, with your assessment there mate final question this week Packed Mouse says how much credit does Zinedine Zidane deserve for Real Madrid's success this season um, again, we were talking about this a little bit with Robbie last week uh, from Ass in Spain, uh, the Spanish publication. Zidane does seem to have this reputation of being lucky somewhat, Chris. I think he's probably shaken that off now with the, the consistency of the success, getting him to the final once again in the Champions League this season, uh, potentially winning the league. The, the double's on. I think if he wins both of those competitions this season, uh, he's got to make He's got to take a tremendous amount of the uh, the responsibility for that because it's not quite as simple as uh, Real Madrid is just managing the ego, surely. No, it's it's really not. I mean, look, it's a it's a massively political football club, not just within that dressing room, but outside of it as well. Um, the, the keeping the supporters happy, you've got Florentino Perez in there. You've sometimes I think you've got to work with players that maybe are bought on what they bring from a marketing perspective rather than playing perspective, all those things keep it difficult. And then what that feeds into then is how you put the team on the pitch and how sometimes you have to, you know, make some, some difficult decisions. You look at someone like Casemiro, for example, I think you could form a decent argument that there are certain coaches at Real Madrid that have been at Real Madrid in the recent history that would not see the value in someone like him. And I think and I've said this before, I think for Zidane and where it really helps with him is he played with someone like Makaleli. He knows the benefit 
of having that defensive shield, that guy who can win the ball back and give it to you. That for me, I think some coaches, especially players that have played really high level, guys like Roy Keane, for example, I think they can only see the game from the perspective of their position. So they know how to spot a very good midfielder or even build a good midfield. But when it comes to how that midfield balances out with the defence and the attack and all those moving parts, because it really is, it's it's a very delicate machine, a team balance. That's where I think uh, Zidane really excels because he understands things. Bringing Isco in, for example, has been a, a really shrewd move. I know it's partly facilitated by Gareth Bale's injury, but still to choose him and to give Asensio that sort of super sub-like role in the in the Champions League. It's just very good squad management. And, and I think it's a little bit disingenuous to make out like all that Zidane is doing is, is you know, sort of Keegan in the 90s, which again, you know, worked to a degree. But going in there like Keegan and just saying, go on, son, play well. And then, you know, slapping him on the back and letting him go out and do what he does. <laughs> um, that is the end of the podcast, guys. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Different one today. Housen, obviously there at the start. I hope you enjoyed hearing from the man himself. And then uh, basically a front two today. Me and you, Chris. Big man, little man up front. You're not that little, but um, you know what I mean. <laughs> it was an interesting combo. I enjoyed it. Is that the f- I think that's the first time we've done a, a front two, as it were. Days before we share a house. How lovely and fitting. Yeah, Chris is, is, Chris is coming to crash on my couch very soon. I'm seeing it right here. I can see your bed now. Um, we're going to have a lovely time. Are you a good housemate are you a conscientious sort of house guest i'd like to think so i mean i've i've you seen your be. your apartment very briefly oh. and, and it, it looks wonderfully clean so i intend to keep it that way oh i love Plus it it's, Hi, it's one night. i'd be friggin amazed if i can make mess in one night i've yeah. got to be a special kind of idiot I'd, I'd be almost impressed if you managed to sort of trash the place in on a monday night as well but um guys thank you so much for listening i uh, hope you enjoyed the podcast thank you for all your reviews as well uh, congrats to black shadow and niagara who obviously awarded sharing the whole of the whole of the week this week thank you so much for your reviews you can leave more on itunes if you want to be whole of the week next week all you have to do is click the link in the description of this very podcast takes you to iTunes. Uh, set up an account if you haven't already. Just leave us a nice review. Basically helps us find more listeners, helps us go up the charts, you know, that sort of thing. It's all very important. Uh, until Monday, when we'll be reviewing the weekend's action, including the final ever game at White Hart Lane, emotional stuff. Uh, Chris, where can the listeners, where can the whole find you? At the front three Twitter account. Oh, selfless. I like that. I'm going to go the other way. You can find me at Adam Boltwood. Click on the follow button. I think I've got, what, 5,000 followers now? I'm very proud. Um, what's How many have you got? you got like 20,000, 15,000 or something? Yeah, some 15, 16, somewhere. Oh, Dave's winning that race. Really. Yeah, Dave's, Dave's well ahead. I think he, Lawrence, has, since he's been on the old uh, True yeah, Jolly podcast, he's, 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 he's ahead of me as well. Up the ranks. Yeah, the, 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 I've been left in the dust in this competition, guys, so if you can... Me, me and you chuck and us a follow. Band members that don't go solo. Well, <laughs> you know, I'm way behind. I'm the... Uh, who's, who's the worst member of Take That? It was definitely... Uh, who's the guy who left? Jason Orange? I mean, Gary Barlow, really, for that tax dodge. Mate, Gary Barlow is the talent. He's the heart of Take That. I love you. Know, he wrote all he the is, songs. But he didn't pay his taxes either. Yeah, well, can't be so perfect. Nobody's perfect. He's the worst. Um, guys, we. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. We will see you on Monday. Until then, have a fantastic weekend and enjoy the football.